The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Would you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 5? And uh, let's take a look at the scripture this morning. Psalm 5. Every year uh, I get to preach on a favorite psalm between Christmas and New Year's, and uh, it started in 2009, preached on Psalm 42, 43 then, then the next year Psalm 90, then Psalm 30, then Psalm 65, then Psalm 16. Uh, In 2014, Doug preached on Psalm 91, then Psalm 34. In 2016, Azar preached on Psalm 40. In 2017, Psalm 71, and then last year I preached on Psalm 116. I'm sure you remember that. (laughs) And today we're going to look at Psalm 5. So we're getting through, and if I live 140 more years, we'll get through them all. (laughs) Would you stand with me if you're able to, and let's listen to the Word of God. Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I do pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and I watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. May God bless his word. We just pray with me before you sit. Father, thank you now for this word from you. And Holy Spirit, we ask you, what is it on your heart to do this morning? Like we sang earlier, let everything fall away except your agenda, God. What is it on your heart to do? Lord, everyone here has come in with different burdens. We pray for each one. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to take the word of God that I preach and just take it and apply it exactly where People need to hear it, and uh, we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, every year I uh, also give you a little bit of a background to the Psalms, and uh, so this might sound repetitive if you've been around White Ridge for a long time, but the Psalms are really book of praises in Hebrew. It was sung, uh, sung by the people of Israel. And uh, at least seven different authors, possibly many more, writing over a period of about 900 years. The earliest psalm that we have is Psalm 90, written by Moses. And the latest one that we have is Psalm 126. And we know it was taken later, around 450 
B.C. because it speaks of those who had returned from Babylon being in exile. And about half the Psalms are attributed to David, and the interesting thing about the Hebrew preposition, it's either by David or for David, for the house of King David. And so sometimes we don't, we're not exactly sure whether David wrote them or not, and that's the case this morning in Psalm 5. We don't know the exact experience that David, if he was the one, faced. <clears throat> Just as there are five books of the law, of the Torah, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, so also you'll notice if you go through that there are five books in the Psalms. There are actually five books. And, um, and that, some people think, is because that God spoke to his people in five books, and Psalms are answering language in five books because they're essentially prayer. And so perhaps that's exactly the way God designed it. John Calvin said that the Psalms are the anatomy of the human soul because every experience there is found in the Psalms. And uh, Martin Luther said that it's the favorite book of all the saints because in it they find the words appropriate to the circumstances in which each one of us find ourselves as if it was written just for us. Have you ever read a psalm and felt, oh yeah, that was written for me today? There are various people that I have studied over the years that categorize the psalms into different ways. And the one that I have shared this before as well that I appreciate the most is a guy named Walter Brigham. Walter Brigham categorizes the psalms, all of 150 of them, into three kinds of psalms. He says there are orientation psalms, there are disorientation psalms, and there are reorientation psalms. So, <clears throat> orientation psalms are psalms that are written in the context of satisfied seasons of your life. Well-being is evoked, gratitude, the constancy of God, the joy of blessing, and those are orientation psalms. An example is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man... Who does, who, blessed is the, the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. And so that's a psalm of goodwill. That's a psalm of God is on his throne. Everything is okay. Psalm 8 is another one. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the wonders of your, your ways, how does it go? When I consider you have set your glory, it says, above the heavens, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. This is everything's well, Psalm 8. Psalm 23, Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You see, it's all as well kind of psalms, orientation psalms. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. God is within her and she shall not be moved. See, God is with us. Things are okay. 
Those are orientation psalms. You can hear it all as well. The disorientation psalms are quite the contrary, of course. During seasons of hurt, of alienation, of suffering, of death, often the psalms that are written as disorientation psalms evoke rage, anger, sometimes self-pity, resentment. This sense of well-being is no more. Psalm 5 is a disorientation psalm. We're going to look at it today. Give ear to our words, O Lord. Consider our sighing. Listen to our cry for help, our King and our God. For to you we pray, morning by morning, we lay our request before you and wait in expectation. This is a psalm of disorientation. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is disorienting. God, you don't seem to be there. How long do I have to bear this burden? Disorientation. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quoted this from the cross. Psalm 137, clearly a disorientation psalm when the Israelites found themselves in Babylon in exile. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung up our guitars, our harps. For there our captors asked us for psalms. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And they responded, how can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? It is disorienting to be in exile. Songs of disorientation, not everything is well. And the psalmist is not going to pretend that it is well. He or she is going to utter their prayer to God in the midst of the raw experience that they are facing. That's okay. And then there are new or reorientation psalms, which are times of surprise that God is with you. Times of of a difficulty ending. Times when God is giving you fresh hope and fresh faith for blessings yet to come. From darkness into light, from fear into peace, from lament into joy from loneliness to community, from bitterness to blessing. And these are, these are uplifting. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the strength of my heart. Of whom shall I fear? Psalm 27. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 40, I love this one. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He put a new song in my mouth. He put my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in him. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your sin and heals all your diseases. You see, these are all reorientation psalms. They're coming out of this darkness, and they're coming into the light again of God's presence. So you can hear that 
the Psalms were written for any experience that you might be going through, when everything is going well, when everything is not going well, when you are just starting to see that things might go well, God has a Psalm for you. Tony Evans once said, you're either in a trial now, you've just come out of a trial, or you're getting ready to go into one. <laughs> and that's the way kind of life is, isn't it? Dr. Joseph Parker said this. He said, he said this to young preachers. He says, preach to the suffering and you will never lack a congregation. There is a broken heart in every pew. There's a broken heart in every pew. The Psalms are for those kinds of times. So let's take a look at Psalm 5. And it is our focus this morning. It's an individual lament. <clears throat> it is not a corporate lament that Israel would sing. It comes out of a very real and personal experience. And so you might find yourself identifying with David in this psalm and his experience, <clears throat> though he's far removed from us. Frederick Beekner said this, my assumption is that the story of any one of us in some measure is the story of all of us. And so we find ourselves in the psalms. We find ourselves in Psalm 5. The reason that Psalm 5 is kind of special <clears throat> to me and to Pat and I is because we, we took the first three verses and verse 11 and we made it from individual to corporate, and we made it our morning prayer when the children were young. And so uh, it, it, it was our morning prayer. Every, every morning at breakfast, we would recite Psalm 5. Give ear to our words, O Lord. Consider our sighing. Listen to our cry for help, our King and our God. For to you we pray. Morning by morning, you hear our voice. Morning by morning, we lay our request before you and wait in expectation. Spread your protection over us that we who love your name may rejoice in you. Amen. Let's eat. <clears throat> Couldn't do the whole thing. It would be too long. So this is poetry. This is Hebrew poetry. This is ancient Hebrew poetry. I am not a poet. I am not Hebrew. And I am not ancient. And so I have to be careful when I enter into interpreting this psalm like so many psalms, and David is coming, coming out of a deep, real experience of hurt. Some of you know that when you pray in the midst of your deep personal experiences of hurt, that you don't think or say or pray things that you would think or say or pray on a good day. And that's what the psalms do sometimes, as we'll see in a minute. And so John Phillips of Moody Bible Institute many years ago wrote, said that he, th he thought that Psalms 3, 4, and 5 were a trilogy in the Hebrew hymn book. And so he thinks that maybe David's experience was the same in Psalm 5 as the preface of Psalm 3 says, that it was when David was running away from his son Absalom, who was trying to kill him, that maybe that's what the experience of Psalm 5 is. We don't know. We don't know the experience of Psalm 5. But I believe it definitely is a morning prayer judging by the way it begins. And so I have called my sermon this morning David's Lament, a morning song for daily strength. Let me ask you a question. Is, is morning your primary time of prayer? Is morning the time when you generally spend some time with God? Do you start the day with God? Charles Spurgeon was adamant about that. He told his congregation that an hour in the morning was worth two in the evening. 
And um, he says, while the dew was still on the grass, let the grace of God drop upon your soul. And uh, John Bunyan, the great writer of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan said this. He said, he who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. There's some wisdom in that, isn't there? That if you run from God, if you do not enter into the presence of God in the morning, you might just find that he's not on your mind all day long. You'll scarcely find him the rest of the day. The morning watch, as it was called, was the staple for the Puritans back in the day. And I find that if I can wrestle down my anxious thoughts first thing in the morning, if I can can just sift through my mind and heart and I can bring to God everything that would occupy me that day or worry me, I find that not only only am am I able to most often leave it with God, But oftentimes, I will find that God gives me wisdom in the day as I walk it out because I have committed it to him in the morning. And so David begins his prayer with this repetition of morning by morning you hear our prayer. Morning by morning we lay our requests before you and wait in expectation. The repetition, of course, is part of Hebrew poetry. And that's why David says, give ear to my words and consider my sighing and listen to my cry. Three things. He could have said just one, but that's part of the poetry. He's saying, God, I'm really pressing into you. I really want to hear your voice. I want your ear right now. God, hear my cry. That's what David is saying here. Jesus, of course, was the best example of prayer that we could ever have in all the scriptures. And it says of Jesus in Mark 1.35 that he would rise very early in the morning while it was still dark and he would depart and go out to a desolate place and there he would pray. The morning prayer. And there's a side of humanity and of divinity in David's prayer as well. Because he, he says his words and his sighs or groans and his cries, but then he punctuates it with who he's talking with. He, he, he reminds himself he's talking to the Lord God. I fail at this point in my prayers often. I fail to pause long enough to just think of who I am speaking with, and I just find my words just flowing out without thinking of who I'm in the presence of. And yet David, over and over again, just gets back to God. He saturates his prayer with God, with the name of God, the attributes of God, the ways of God. Look at verse 4 as an example. He says in the middle of his prayer, he says, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Now there is David reminding God of who God is. Isn't that interesting? God loves that kind of prayer. When you just take something about God and say, God, you're not like this or you are like this. God loves that kind of prayer. It's helpful for David and helpful for us because it keeps us on the track of who it is we're praying to. Try it sometime. Think about in the middle of your prayer, just pause in your prayer and just say, tell God what he is or who he is or what he's not like, according to his scripture. He's going to love that. David's prayer about God 
He says he's not a God. You're not a God who loves wickedness or delights in wickedness. You're not a God of, that evil and sin can dwell with. He says that the boastful and proud cannot stand in you, your presence, O God. No evildoer can be there. Liars cannot be in the presence of God, nor can anybody who is thirsty for revenge or vengeful, nor the deceitful. I mean, he's just going down the list of all the kinds of people that God, God's presence will not cohabitate with. You cannot be a deceitful person and think that you can run into the presence of God and just offer your prayer. David's prayer, you see, reveals David's God. And the scary thing is, is that our prayers do the same. Our prayers, prayers reveal our God. And sometimes that's scary because if someone were to walk with me every morning of all week long and then come to the end of it and write down what kind of God I have because of my praying, I don't know that I would have the same God as David had. Or Paul. Jesus. You see, because your prayer reveals the kind of God that you're praying to. It's a scary thing. And that's why we must let the Scriptures inform our praying. And so David's faith and David's self-reflection take over at, the, at verse 7. The big turning point in this psalm at verse 7 when he says, but I through your steadfast love, the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house. The turning point here in verse 7 is that David is saying, I am choosing not to be like those evildoers, like those wicked, like those deceitful, those liars. I choose not to be like that. I'm not going to be the kind of person that is not welcome in your presence, David says to God. Because he says, I'm going to bow down before your holy temple and I'm going to ask you, lead me in your righteousness. Verse 8, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness as I can't do this myself. I want, to, I want to not be like that, but I can't stay the course myself. God, help me. And so he recognizes his weakness. I think that it's common if you are going through a disorientation season of life, if you have been hurt by someone else, if you are going through difficulty and trial, it is easy to lash out at other people. And in, in verse 8, what I see David doing is I see David checking himself. And he's saying to God, I don't trust myself, God. He's saying, lead me in your righteousness, your righteousness, God. Lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. You see, when you have enemies, when you have somebody that doesn't like you, when you have somebody that is a snag in your heart, you can't depend on your righteousness. You can't depend on you finding the way. You need to depend on God's righteousness, God's way. James Montgomery Boyce says, this is a good way to measure how well you are praying and how whether, whether as you pray you are actually drawing close to God or merely mouthing your words. For if you are drawing close to God, you will become increasingly sensitive to your own sin. And inevitably, it'll happen because you're approaching a holy God. 
And so in the midst of what could be awful stuff against you, it, it stirs the bottom of your heart and it, it brings out the worst of you. And so David realizes that because of his enemies. And so he's saying, God, lead me in your righteousness because I don't trust myself right now. That's okay to pray that way. David was not just wanting salvation in the sweet by and by. David was not just praying a prayer that says, get me, get me through and I'll, and I'll, just, I'll worship you in heaven and we'll figure it out later, God. David wasn't like that. He was wanting to be righteous in the valley, in the trial. I was reading a little bit of uh, a book on prayer by Andrew Murray this week, and he references 1 Peter 1.5. In 1 Peter 1.5, I'm just going to turn to it right now. 1 Peter 1.5, starting, well, actually verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Your inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Never going to be taken away. And he says it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being kept guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So your your inheritance is kept in heaven for you, and that same power of God that is keeping your inheritance in heaven for you, that same power of God is keeping you for your inheritance. Now let me read to you what Andrew Murray writes about that. He says, It is very foolish for a father to take great trouble to have an inheritance for his children and to keep it for them if he does not keep them for it. Think of a man spending all of his time and making every sacrifice to amass money, and as he gets his tens of thousands, you ask him why it is that he sacrifices himself so. And his answer is, I want to leave it, my children, a large inheritance, and I am keeping it for them. If you were then to hear that that same man takes no trouble to educate his children and he allows them to run around on the streets wild and to go into paths of sin and ignorance and folly, what would you think of him? Would you not say, poor man, he is keeping an inheritance for his children, but he is not keeping his children for their inheritance? (laughs) And what he is saying in Scripture is, God is keeping his inheritance for you, but he is keeping you for his inheritance. And right now, it's the, it's the second one that matters most. God wants to keep you in his path of righteousness, especially if you are going through a dark night of the soul, if you are going through a trial, if you have imminent enemies that are attacking you, if you're really struggling to keep on the straight and narrow. The power of God that has already reserved an inheritance for you through Jesus Christ is the same power of God that is keeping you for that inheritance. And so David, in verse 8, says, Lord, lead me in your righteousness. He goes on in verse 9 to kind of cut loose. He lets his emotions run. In verse 9, we see the raw side. David's enemies are real. 
There's no truth in their mouths. They have destruction in their core. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. He says, God, make them bear their guilt. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out of your presence. They're rebels. Doesn't sound like the kind of praying that Jesus said that we were to do when we are to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us, right? Doesn't sound like that. But again, God is wise enough not to take every prayer at face value. And if you have prayed prayers of vengeance against some enemy, God will filter that out somehow, I'm sure, even as he does with David. And then David ends this psalm in verses 11 and 12 with such a contrast. He says, here's the company I want to keep. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice, O God. Let them ever sing for joy. David ends in verses 11 and 12 by reminding himself of who he wants to be and how the joy comes. From a a venting anger, he switches over to a, a joyful praise. He leaves it up to God. He says, God, spread your protection over me that I who love your name will rejoice in you. And he says, God, I'm going I'm to bless you and I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to trust your favor to shield me. And so David resolves his anger. He, he works it through as we go through Psalm 5. He works it through and he comes to the end. And sometimes that's the way our praying goes too. I don't know about you, but sometimes I start on a certain platform of prayer and I'm anxious and I'm worried and I'm struggling and and I'm asking for God to help me to forgive somebody or whatever it is and and by the end of the prayer, I'm able to resolve. And as you end the year in 2019, in two days, as you close the chapter of 2019 and open a new chapter, in fact, you're opening a new decade Wow. Think about how fast the last decade went. As you open a new decade, what will it find for you? I am sure that on the heart of everyone here, there is a lament on your heart about something from 2019. There is something from 2019 that leaves you with regret, leaves you with a burden. It's unresolved. It's not there yet. It's a burden, a hurt, a grief, a mistake. I'm sure there's something on your heart. And here's the way I want to conclude this this morning. Is I want you to think about that past unresolved thing. I want you to think about the present daily walk of trying to stay in fellowship with Christ in righteousness. And I want you to think about the fresh faith and hope that you can have for 2020. Because God is already there. God is already in 2020. And he's already got a plan for you. And he's going to give you the grace to meet up with anything that comes your way. Let me pray for us. Father, as we, uh, as we pray now, thank you for David and thank you for the Psalms that reveals such a wide variety of experience. Lord, we identify with so many of the things, even though we don't understand the real-life situations that many of them faced. God, thank you that you are bigger than our circumstances. You are bigger than our enemies. You are bigger than our mistakes. You are bigger than the fears we have about the future. 
And God, we thank you that you're able now by your Holy Spirit to just take this word from Psalm 5 and make it a live, make it apply to each of our lives. Father, help us to learn to morning by morning lay our requests before you and wait in expectation. And so, Lord, God bless as we conclude this year and as we open up to the new year. Father, may we open our hearts to all the possibilities of faith as we hope in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.